This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny K, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. got a hell of a show for you. I'm joined here with Luke Summers, Steve Playtech, John Wellborn, and Mr. Kelly Starrett. How you guys doing? What's up, Danny? What's up, Danny? Hey, hey. Not much, man. This show is going to be fucking badass. <laughs> I mean, Jesse Burdick last week, Kelly Starrett this week. We're, we're jumping the shark. Whoo, man. Well, I, Where I do really we start? Don't... Well, I really don't know where we go from this. I mean, is this the last one? Yeah, I think we just cut it off. I mean, you know, the, the fact that we have Tarak Mokhtil on the show is pretty amazing <laughs> to me. <laughs> you know, I was just texting with Jesse this morning and uh, I was, I, you know, because two or three people called me or texted me when I was in Europe saying, hey, you know, Jesse and John Wilborn are taking the piss out of you. And I was like, wait, just wait until I tell everyone Jesse's darkest secrets and his darkest fears. It's so on today. Let's bring it. I love All it. Right. So, Kelly, what, uh, what have you been up to, man? It sounds like you were in Europe. I mean, you know, now now you are like the pre- premier contractor for the NFL in terms of sports performance. I mean, dude, I, I just feel blessed that you remembered the little guys enough to get on our podcast. Oh, you know what? You just, you know, you'd love to ditch your family, but uh, family is family, you know, and can't uh, you can't choose your family. And unfortunately, uh, you know, I feel like I'm related to you guys, you know, like in a kind of a deeply West Virginia sort of way. Well, I mean, uh, uh, it was funny this weekend. We had a seminar in Savannah and we were talking about, you know, why we train posture and position. And we were just going through this whole thing. And this guy like raises his hand and he's like, you know, uh, this all sounds really familiar. I mean, are you and Kelly star at good friends? Because you guys are saying a lot of the same things. And I, uh, I actually laughed a little bit and I was like, like friends, like how, like sleep on your couch while your daughter is crying and you know, that type of friends or, uh, you know, five in the morning, get into a car accident and call him to pick you up friends. Like what kind of friends are we talking about? Like the friends that stay at your house and that you've, you know, really, really close friends like that type of friends. He's like, yeah, I was like, yeah, we're definitely those kind of friends. We're those kind of- yeah, well, I know. I, I think what's interesting is that we're all involved in a grand experiment. You guys still there? I lose you. Yeah, where are you? No, no, we're here. We're just listening at all. <laughs> and uh, you know, and it's it's easy sometimes to feel like you're out on an island saying, you know, hey, am I am I crazy about this? You know, um, I was uh, uh, not too long ago. I was down with the Saints, and um, they, uh, you know, the the defensive line coach was like was talking. And uh, he was like saying, hey, you know, can I can I t- ask you a question? He's like, I think the foot should be straight. And I was like, yes, sir. The foot absolutely has to be straight because it's your foot. And when you're running or cutting, <laughs> you foot straight. And, when, you know, and he's like, I know. And these guys, their feet are all turned out. It's like a mess. He's like, I tell them power runs in lines. And I was like, it's weird. My friend, John Wellborn, you know, can't say enough about, you know, landing with the feet straight and getting your feet straight. And it still seems to be some sort of debate out in the world. And I'm like, look, you know, you're absolutely right, coach, because what you see is correct. 
based on your clinical experience and clinical evidence. And, you know, I, I keep hat button up against these people who are saying, Hey, let's turn the feet out. I'm like, would you do a pistol with your foot turned out? Do you jump and land with your foot turned out? Do you power clean? Like, what are we doing? I don't know. I, I don't care about squatting for squatting sake. I think, I think Olympic lifting and squatting is really fun as a sport, but my job is to make athletes and, you know, a lot of the validation is that I'm like, hey, you know, do you know John Wellborn and the work that he and his staff do? All they do is get athletes ready to go actually do a sport. And that means that we got to get that hip and ankle and knee prepared. And that's done with the foot straight. So, I mean, you, you come up. I can't, I can't even tell the story without actually running into you, which is sort of a problem, you know? Well, what's interesting, and uh, all Kelly, all, all you would have to say to them is, uh, as a defensive line coach, you ask them, hey, if your outside pass rusher is going up against an offensive lineman and the offensive lineman steps in the bucket, and that's the comment we used to call it, stepping in the bucket, which effectively means that as you're setting back, if you open your toe up, the next step is that that, that inside leg that you're dragging as your post foot will cross over your body, and then you will make a short corner. And for years, I watched on film the best guys in the world keep their feet straight. They would set back, and they would actually make what they call the pocket deep and the minute that guys would open their hood uh, open their foot they would do what's called stepping in the bucket where they'd have to cross over and then they would create a short corner i told the guys this weekend i'm like go watch nfl football watch when an offensive lineman especially a tackle gets beat around the corner and look at what he does with his feet you're going to watch him changes you know uh, crossover and we call it stepping in the bucket so for years that was a negative and i remember when uh everything we did was avoiding stepping in the bucket keeping those toes fading straight ahead you know generating the internal hip torque i mean we had uh so kelly you're gonna laugh at this one we had a guy from nebraska that came to train with us and he had hurt his back pretty severely and so um he's like well i can't squat it hurts my knees it hurts my back so i said oh well let's uh let's see this happen so he sets up and his feet are shoulder width or a little inside a shoulder width. And the guy was literally pushing his knees in and caving his knees in. And I asked him, I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, you know, I was always told offensive linemen are supposed to play what we call our A-frame. And I was like, yeah, you are supposed to play within an A-frame. It's a powerful position, like a tri- like a pyramid. The only problem is, is that, yes, we want our knees on the inside of our toes, but only if your feet are wide enough. And so I literally widened his feet out about six to eight inches. And I was like, now... I want you to drive your knees out. And as he drove his knees out, his feet fell directly on the, on his insteps. And I was like, that's what they mean with the A-frame. And we got him into his stance and started showing him. And I'm like looking at this and I'm like, you played in the NFL. He played for the Eagles. You played at Nebraska. How the fuck did you not know this? More importantly, why was your coach not teaching that? I mean, it's, it's one of these things where, um, you know, Maybe because I was a smaller, and I know this just sounds funny, maybe because I was one of the smaller athletic guys where, you know, I played with guys that were 6'8", 360 pounds. And if they made mistakes, it wasn't a really that big a deal. But when you're a smaller, more athletic guy like I played, I couldn't make those mistakes. I had to be a knee bender. I had to keep my feet in proper position. My punch couldn't miss. I had to use every skill that I had to win. And I think when I went back and you kind of start analyzing the movements and you start seeing correlation between what I did on the football field and when we train the baseball players and Kelly, you've worked with numerous athletes that there's a, and we've, we've talked about this for years. It's this thing called the blueprint for perfect athletic movement, that there's things that are universal to athletes that people do. And it doesn't matter the sport. Like there's like, we talk about our universal athletic position and to be strong and, you know, maintaining posture and position. And, uh, you know, it just, it, 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 and, and Kelly and I laugh about this and that's what he's saying, being out there on an Island where all of a sudden you step back and you're like, am I the only one seeing this? And you, or, you know, or we go to these seminars 
and you stand up in front of 40 and 50 people like we do every weekend and you start looking at them. And as you're explaining this, you kind of stop and you look around, you're like, do you guys understand uh, what I'm talking about? And more importantly, do you understand how big this is that like you guys are on the cutting edge of something that we are. And then what's interesting is when people push back and you're like, no, you're deadly wrong. And I'm going to show you why you're wrong. And then we show them and they still don't want to do it. Like we like Kelly uses our force bleed thing, uh, you know, with the foot. And I'm, I guarantee when you do that, does that trip people out today? look and they think, holy shit. I've been breaking the knees in, but when I, when I show them break the knees out, I'm like, this comes directly. You know, I'm like, oh, you think I'm like, let's look at hip function and position. I, I can break the largest person. I, I mean, Donnie Thompson, world record holder. I put his feet out a little bit, crushes hip function just shuts down. Right. You know and I'm like? So if your hip function shuts down, who cares about your knees and your ankles? What happens to your hips and your back? What happens to your ability to change direction? Then I'm like, and this comes directly from football, cross football. And I pull the foot out and that knee out, people fall on the ground. I'm like, how's that going? You know what? And here's the deal. This, there's a real, this is such a good timely conversation. There's an internet like a uh, mob thing going on right now in the weightlifters where they are railing against knees out as a cue. They're actually going back to saying, no, knees have to be forward or knees have to be in. And what I see is this real interesting notion because people are hitting the hole and then internally rotating and impinging to be able to stand up. And I'm like, if you did that, jumping up from a sprawl in the MMA, if you did that playing football in the NFL, jumping, landing, I mean, this is why we still see women have four times the ACL tear rates of men in college, four times kids under 12, the ACL injury rate in those kids up 400% in the last 10 years. Like this is the kind of absolute abject ignorance bullshit that's, that's going on. We're like, Hey, it's okay. Let your knees come in. It's okay. Turn your feet out. Cause we've always done it and allows us to get done. You know, you and I are now running, having this state conversation. We're saying, Hey, we think this is the best position to create a best athletic position that gives you the most options. And if you're the only way you can squat is with your feet out, because that's the only way you can squat. Well, that's a different conversation because that's the only position you can squat them. But it's well, position. Well, is it a position that allows you not to destroy your ankles and your knees? Is it a position that allows you to give you the most options? No, it's the only position. So people are arguing sort of this, this mentality of like, well, this is the only way I can squat. So it must be correct. Well, Kelly, and the problem is, is that because what we've done is we've set up these artificial, um, you know, standards, let's say that you have to squat below parallel today. So I'm going to do anything. I'm going to open my feet up. I'm going to drive my knees out. I'm going to basically do anything I can to create a mechanical fix for my shitty posture, my shitty strength, my shitty mobility, whatever you want to call it. The fact that I have no, uh, you know, no dorsiflexion in my ankles, gastroctomy, uh, uh, you know, calves are tight and then I got tight hips. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wipe in the stance and I'm going to turn my toes out and I'm going to drive my knees out hard just to artificially sit below some imaginary thing, which is the hip crease below the knee. So my thing to that I say to people is, yes, I want you to squat below parallel. Do I need you to squat below parallel today? No. What I need you to do is I need you to show me good posture and position, and I need you to go to a depth where we can maintain posture and position. And what's going to happen is over time, you're going to develop the stability, the musculature, and the flexibility and the strength to actually do the lift as I need it done. But you got to remember, I'm not training you for just one day. This is an entire process. This is going to take months. I don't need you to squat 
Garoppolo some artificial range of motion. I need you to show me good technique because it's impossible for me to teach you anything less. It's kind of like this bullshit where, um, you know, the mark for a pull-up is chin over the bar. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to internally and elevate my shoulders and I'm going to crane my neck as hard as I can. And I'm going to do this movement because it's the shortest range of motion and I'm going to be able to not pull as high. And then all of a sudden I sit there and I watch these pull-ups where I see a broken upper back. I see an elevated and rotated shoulder, which we know putting the shoulder on the front of the scapula is the most dangerous position for the shoulder. And then I'm going to crane my neck as hard as I can and cervically load my spine. And then they wonder why I, you know, and it's one of those things where I'm like, I do not need you to get your chin over the bar. What I need you to do is maintain posture and position in a vertical pull. Why are we doing these vertical pulls? Because I need you to get stronger so you can fucking do more shit. And so what's what I think is the fucking problem here is that we have created these artificial landmarks, these artificial, um, you know, uh, marker for success of the movement instead of saying what the movement done properly as a success. And you know what? Yes, we need to get your chin over the bar, but I need you to pull fucking higher and a good, you know, and actually develop the strength and the musculature and the range of motion. I need you to squat below parallel, but never at the expense of not maintaining posture and position. And it's like, you know, it's one of those things we we teach our seminar. I mean, fuck, we've taught 40 or 50 of these things this year. And it's like, I go to these things and you can ask anybody that's come to our seminar. They're like, dude, John actually feels like he actually says to me, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because I watch this over and over again. It's kind of like um, somebody, the way we teach our burpee is we actually teach it like a sprawl. We don't teach the push-up portion. We just, we, we look at it as a multi-plane movement of challenging posture and position. We know what a good athletic position is. You're all of a sudden going to sprawl out into this position. Right. I need you to pop back up. And people ask, why well, we don't teach the push-up. And you know what I tell them? Because have you watched a bunch of people do burpees on a football field? Uh, we watched some athletes that had been doing a lot of burpees, you know, with the chest, with the push up. And I watched them get knocked on their butts or knocked off their feet. And you know what they did? They did a push up before they popped up. Right. Ridiculous. Because it was one of those things, because where we had literally stressed for years, hey, when you go down, when you have to touch your chest to the ground and pop up, I literally watched these guys get knocked off their feet and actually do a push-up because it, that's the movement pattern we're teaching. And I'm I like, what? Put, go a step further, put the arms above your head. What you'll see is an arbitrary position where people's elbows fly out, they clap yep. behind their neck, right? And I'm like, so what are you you reinforcing there? An elbow out, internally rotated, unstable shoulder. I just spent, you know, early part of my trip in Europe, I was working with um, uh, the Harlequins, you know, this this premier British rugby union. And uh, these, you know, watching these guys throw the ball, catch the ball, throwing in, elbows wide, same mistakes they're making in the bench press. You know, these broken, unstable positions. And I'm like, well, of course, you probably practice that and that's one position you can be in. And you really start leading to this question is, you know, our answer forever has been, let's get stronger, you know, and you even have, you know, used to be more along the minds of, Hey, look, you know, get brutally strong. That'll solve some problems. And even as you have become more nuanced, cause clearly people aren't even strong at all. I mean, you know, I'm like, Oh, you back squat 315. Now you think that's strong, you know, but what we're seeing now is better application of position better nuanced understanding mechanics. And you don't have to squat 700 pounds. If you squat 400 and 450, if you can snatch a hundred kilos, chances are you probably can play college football. 
You know well, I mean? the, the, so the, the other one is, is uh, I, I always tell the story that the year that I had uh, my second year in the NFL, they wanted me to get bigger and they were, you know, I had this idea that I'd get bigger and I'll get as brutally strong as I can. So I literally was the strongest I was in my NFL career, the biggest I ever was. And the first day I went out to uh, off-season training OTAs, I literally sat back and this dude ran around me like he was like a little planet orbiting Earth. And I was Earth. And like literally this dude ran around me like it was nothing. And I had this like instant like, I guess I got overcome by this fear. I had this instant like clarity where all of a sudden the, the, the last three months, four five, six months passed in front of my eyes. And I realized that NFL is a game of speed and that if I am a big planet and I'm so slow that little planets orbit around me, like I'm not standing still, I'm not going to have a fucking job very long. And I remember I left there and I remember I ate like one salad a day for like the next like three weeks. And I ended up losing like 20 or 30 pounds and I showed up and I was the fastest I ever was. I got weaker, but the amount of time and effort that it took for me to bench in the mid fives and squat in the seven hundreds didn't pay dividends for me. And all of a sudden I came in, I tested and I wasn't as strong as I was, but that application and the use. And so that's where we really get into to it. We talk about this at the seminar. His strength is great, but you know what? Uh, the ability to demonstrate that strength is what we call power. And I'm looking to create power athletes. I'm not looking to create just strength athletes. We had a deal all the time and we yeah. say at the seminar, look like Tarzan, play like Jane. I played against big dudes that literally passed the airport test where they got off the airport and the coach walked over to him and said, Hey, get in, you know, getting on the bus. I played with these dudes that looked like a million bucks that were massive. All of a sudden the ball snapped and they can't use their strength. And I was always kind of tweaked with this idea. I'm like, how is it some athletes can not be as physically strong in the weight room, but have the ability to utilize their strength? Uh, so much better than others. And when you look at the way they did it, it was basically came down to using their body as a complete circuit, posture and position, that ability to generate force. There was no force bleed. They were strong and they had what we've, you know, we've been calling for years, that tinsel strength where they were strong in their trunk and like they could do some things and they could just unleash. And, uh, you know, and it's, you know, Kelly's in the same deal where you watch all these athletes do something and you're watching what the good ones are doing that the, you know, these guys, and you kind of go back and you start seeing these universal truths and, um, it's like, uh, Kelly, you're going to laugh at this one, but I had a guy, uh, the other day who had a great squat, tell me he needed to increase his mobility. And, uh, I asked him, I was like, well, what makes you think you need to increase your mobility? And he's like, well, uh, you know, uh, everybody needs to increase their mobility. And I, I told him, I'm like, well, uh, that's true, but your squat's pretty good. And, uh, if you were any more mobile, you'd be hyper mobile. I was almost going to say to him, you're a little hyper mobile. And he's like, well, is that a problem? And I told him, I'm like, well, you know, it's stability without or uh, mobility without stability is right. And he's like, what? I'm like, that's injury. I'm like, you know, like it, mobility is, is key, but we're starting to see people and Kelly, you can probably chime in on the better that are almost becoming hyper mobile. And that becomes a problem. Well, the real issue is, and I think this really begs the question is, you know, we've seen that people, you know, we're, I'm still running into just freakishly, freakishly stiff tissues. And I'm like, what are we even arguing about here? I mean, like, you know, by the way, do you have full positional ability? Yes or no. And, and that's not debatable. The physiology is not debatable. We know what full range of motion is. We can express that. And by the way, who cares? Do you have full positional capacity? Can you squat down with your ankles together? 
feet together, yes or no. That's full dorsiflexion. If you don't have full dorsiflexion, then we have a problem. Like that's all I'm asking you to do is be a normal baseline human being. And I think one of the problems is that people have forgotten that mobility is this, is a combination of the motor control. Do you have the skill and understanding to be able to express what you should be able to do and the biomechanics to be able to do that? And all it is, is about position. And if you have full position and your tissues aren't stiff, go train. You know, you don't need to do a ton of mobility work to go play football. You need to go warm up. You know, you need to get prepped. You need to shift your blood. You need to get hot. You need to have your hips open another time so that you can actually do what you're supposed to do. You know, I was watching, um, you know, these, these rugby players, I mean, and like the, the guy, the captain of the British, you know, national team is on this team. He's legit, but watching him twist to throw the ball guy is so stiff. And I'm like, well, what are we arguing about here? You know what I mean? Like you, you, if that's the only position you can get in, then your position obviously is to you is valid. But for me, we close down options. And so, you know, you, people definitely need to stop, you know, for every training session, we spend 10 or 15 minutes working on position. How do I know a tissue is normal? It doesn't hurt when you compress it. It doesn't hurt and it doesn't feel like beef jerky. If you're on tissues that are normal, they're not stiff they're not, and you have full position, go train. That's all you need to do. You need to warm up and cool down. You know, last year, there's a big article in the in New York times about the, the San Francisco 49ers, their revolutionary program, right? To reduce injuries, which was heavy box squats and then some, some static stretching, you know, and you're like, it's that simple. Do you have position? Yes or no. And then are you actually training those shapes? And I think that's really where the conversation gets lost. Like I don't really care about Olympic lifting. I, I love it, but I care about Olympic lifting as it relates to athletes, power cleans, full cleans, right? Being able to being able to change shape and change direction, being able to take the language, the formal language that we're developing in the gym and actually make genuine athletes that use it. And if all you do is value the weight going up, well, that's an experiment we've run over and over again. And all we have to do is look at the billions of trash athletes behind us who've said, oh yeah, well, I lifted that way and then I had to tore my labrum and I lifted that way and I worked my compartment, my knee, and, you know, but I got it done. Like our idea is look, bad things are going to happen to you in sport because it's sport. You're going to get tackled wrong. You're going to twist your ankle. You're going to come down on a girl's ankle playing volleyball. Like that stuff happens. But the other 98% of the problems we can teach and prevent. And the real question is that, you know, people have really segregated, you know, these different pieces. Nutrition is a separate piece, you know, and strength conditioning is strength conditioning is a separate piece. And, and the positional stuff, what we need to do is integrate, which is what we're doing. This is why in your seminar, you teach all of these aspects. And then all of the, I'm just trying to put the movement back into strength conditioning. And when you talk about that, you know, we know what the inter we know what the unstable position is, the hip in flexion, it's internally rotated. And if your knee comes in and you kick your heel out, you're like, that's, that's an impingement and like, you know, go for it. And if your only sport is to lift weights and you think that's the best way, well, you know, by definition, we think you have to come out unharmed at one rep or at a million reps. And you don't think a million reps is doable. Well, you probably take 10,000 steps a day. That's 70,000 steps a week. Every 400 meters you run, that's 330 steps. You know, some of our athletes, um, you know, I, was, I worked with Arsenal, the, the football team out there, and those guys are running 10 to 12K a game, right? So do the math, 12 kilometers a game times four, and you have 48 times 330. Do the number of steps and oscillations on a tissue, and you're like, well, no wonder you're stiff, and no wonder you tore your knee, and no wonder you tore your Achilles, and you deserved it. 
Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's kind of like if uh, if you were to take a really nice car and you were to loosen all the lug nuts and you were to go in and try to, you know, race this car, all of a sudden you're going to run into issues. And so when we go through this, you know, uh, everything we do, I'm like, let's tighten up the lug nuts. Let's, oh. let's, let's start removing the margin of error. Like, uh, you know, we teach the base repair pyramid. Are you eating right? Are you doing everything you can for recovery? Are you looking at this as a complete circuit? And it's, um, you know, we definitely are in a situation where I feel like, uh, you know, similar to you that like we say all the time, we're like, dude, we're not taking crazy pills. Like we're talking about how to, develop human performance at such a level that we can use this application for anything. And, you know, what's interesting too, Kelly, is it doesn't matter what the sport is, that there's a universal movement pattern for this, you know, this body that we have. And it's, you know, it it, it needs to be addressed. It's your body. It's the same shoulder, whether you're throwing a ball, whether you're tackling, you know, I'm like, look, we teach air squats, you know, I'm like, people grab their hands when they teach air squats. We teach beginners, right? Give them some place to start. What ends up happening, we grab their hands, elbows fly out, right? Elbows fly out, they internally rotate. And now suddenly I'm like, oh, so what are you teaching these young kids who are going to play football and tackle? You're teaching them to tackle with an elbow out position, thumb in, not thumb up, elbow in position. And not only that, as you, have you taught this soft upper back position, but now you've also reinforced the position where they're going to get injured, they can't stabilize their upper back. And how many reps did you do that? for people to understand that the physiology is not fucking debatable. This is not an issue. The only thing we need to debate ever, John, is well, how many times a week do I need to squat? And do I really need to bench press a lot heavy in season when I'm pressing a lot against these guys on the line? You know? And do you prefer my, my quarterbacks to eat dumbbells or barbells when they go overhead? Like, you know, <laughs> those are the only things we should ever be debating. Everything else, you know, okay, well, how many fish oil I need, like whatever, you know, but everything else is not, should be off the table. Why, well, you know, I, I, I realized long ago that we had this uh, really interesting deal where I could recover from volume. It wasn't the intensity. So if, if you look at like my own personal off season or in season football program, it was literally a higher intensity with low to very controlled volume. So I hit like singles, doubles and triples at a higher percentage, 85, 90, 95%. Because, and whereas most of the program was like 65, 70%, three sets of 10 to 12. And I'm like, dude, um, and so I, I would come in and Friday was my big heavy upper day and I would come in and I would hit either a single double and triple. And I knew as long as I was hitting between 400 and 450 and, uh, you know, was hitting some big numbers for some singles, uh, everything was fine. And I continued to stay strong when I actually went to a program that was just lower intensity and higher rep, I wasn't able to maintain my strength and I felt weaker over the course of the season. John, and I remember I, I had, yes. Uh, can you go into the difference between actual intensity? Intensity in, let's say, emotional and psychological intensity. Yeah, this is um, so. When we talk about intensity, uh, we are not talking about your effort. When I talk about intensity, what I mean is uh, a percentage of your one RM at which level you're lifting. Which seems confusing, and I ran into it this weekend, and I kind of had a little bit of a come to Jesus moment with the guys, where I was like, "Efforts given. Just because you go out and you." train as hard as you can and you end up like a piley mess on the floor where you're rolling around for 10 minutes. That doesn't mean intensity to me. That's just uh, everything we did has a level of intensity. I expect a hundred percent effort in everything we do. But if you're lit, like for example, the difference between Fran at 95 kilos and Fran at a hundred or I'm sorry, at a 95 pounds and Fran at 225, one is obviously going to be more uh, or the hundred kilo or the, sorry, yeah, the hundred kilo 225 is going to be more intense because it's a higher percentage of your one RM in that movement. And, uh, you know, just because you did 95 pounds as fast as you can, uh, 
intensity is just a given, like we know you're going to train hard. And so when we at the seminar and when our training, when I talk about intensity, I'm really talking about an amount relative to your one RM 90% is obviously uh, a higher intensity than 65%. And, you know, doing Fran at 95 pounds, when you thrust thruster 140 is obviously a significant lower level of intensity, but I'm not going to do it with any less effort. So it, it, it's, it's become, uh, and I, I don't understand where this kind of happened a little bit in some of the CrossFit stuff where, um, it became like all of a sudden there was a reward for going as hard as you can. I'm like, that's a given. Like I expect for you to train. I expect everything you do that you attack with the fury of a thousand suns that you crack the bone and suck the marrow out of everything we do. Um, you know, that's just, that's how athletes are trained. That's how everybody trains. Um, just, just, just you, know. you guys are doing and that, you know, one of the things that's great about the power project, power athlete project is that you guys are, have your hands in a lot of different sports. You know, one of the things that I think is it's easy for a, a coach to be wrapped up in a single sport and stop looking around, you know, there's, it's easy to look, you know, to, to sort of forget that there's all these other experiments going on across as many sport platforms as you can think of. And you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I'm consistently shocked by is I'm like, Hey, do you know what those people are doing over there? You know, at Arsenal, for example, they, they, the professional soccer in Europe is, you know, Arsenal is, is the fourth highest value franchise in the world, like $1.4 billion. Right. Like, you know, uh, Madrid real is like worth $2 billion. I mean, this is big, big money. And this finally, in the last two months, they have brought in the former players from Munster rugby to come in and they actually have these young kids front squatting for the first time. They're, they're all deep into supple leopard. They all, they all look at the positions mechanics. They're teaching these kids to, to front squat. They're teaching the, the back squat. They're teaching the deadlift and swing. And you know, what's happened is that the kids at football level, the head physio was the head physio for judo, head physio for rowing. And now finally people are looking around at these other sports and saying, you know, what is the commonality? And that's where we can start making these better conversations where, look, if, if we understand that, you know, athletes that aren't fit tend to get beat, we get that. And all you have to do is look at your programming to understand that you value a very, very aerobically fit monster. Like you can't do your workouts and not just bleed through the lungs every single day. Like they're, they're, they're really challenging. And so you always have prioritized that but you're not prioritizing that aspect as the skill training necessarily, or that aspect as the, as the way we're always gonna get you strong. It's accessory work. It's, it's cardiorespiratory work. It's metabolic work, you know, cause you know, the real question is what aspects of position do we need to challenge? Cause what I'm saying is, look, I've got position understood position is the motor control and the biomechanics. Got it. Well, let's challenge that position by putting it into a movement. Well, how do we challenge a movement? We challenge it with load, cardiorespiratory demand, metabolic demand, speed. You and I compete head to head stress. You make me change, you know, change tasks. I've got motor demand. Well, the first four of those, the speed, the, the cardiorespiratory demand, the load, the metabolic demand, those are, that's the actual working definition of intensity. That's what it is. You manipulate one of those things to challenge the athlete's ability to maintain a position. As a side effect, the athlete will get stronger. As a side effect, they'll get fitter. But what ends up happening is we have an athlete who has dominance across as many different domains as we can think of in many different ways. 
And suddenly, you know, in the fourth quarter, you don't turn your foot out. You don't overextend and end up with spondy in the bottom position of your back. You don't fracture. You don't herniate. You don't, t- you know what I mean? Like, and you don't get beat. And that's really the question. What is the best way to train athletes? by creating a language of movement, a language of challenging that movement with the support mechanisms in place, the sleep, the hydration, the nutrition. And suddenly, you know, this is, this is an academic exercise. The physical readiness is an academic exercise. Now we're really asking is who's the best athlete? Who can put it together? Who can pick up the cues the fastest? How do we get it to the place where we can just take everyone's physical preparation off the table. Like that should just be the non-issue. Oh yeah. You came out of John Wellborn's camp. I know you're fit. I know you're strong. You're prepared. Now let's see if you can actually do a sport. And that's where we've got to get back to. The whole point of this thing is to make athletes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And I'm like, why are we arguing about this? You know, why, why are we arguing about this? Like you cannot jump and run and cut. If you're a Navy SEAL, you cannot clean inner room Turn it out like a duck in your power clean jumping and landing position and expect to not oversweep or undersweep. You can't expect to cut, change directions. You can't be RG3 and have your knees come in every single time you jump and then jump with your knees out and not tear ACL. That's the, the problem. You know, that's the, the mechanism. You know, the physiology, I just feel like is so not debatable and it just seems so clear to us. Remove the elephants in the room. You didn't sleep. You eat like shit. You're not drinking enough water. You know, and you don't actually squat or deadlift or clean well. So what are we talking about? You know, dude, it's uh, it's one of those things that we say, man, where like the problem is, is that we're these kind of, uh, I guess, uh, multidimensional kind of deal of athletes where it's, you know, we're trying to do multiple things. But the problem is, is everybody looks at it like segmented. The only way I can kind of describe it is like, you know, let's say you look at the sport of bodybuilding and we had John Meadows on the program and his deal was about slicing the body up into these parts and then developing the body as a, you know, and then the sum of the parts makes this kind of bigger unit. And where we look at everything is kind of training everything and kind of this, um, this grand scheme of things and training the body as a complete circuit and a complete unit. And it's, uh, it, it, you know, the physiology part is, um, I mean, it, it's, it's exciting, but I think the bigger issue that we're running into is that people don't really understand it and they don't really have a background for it. And I think things like your book, the supple leopard and really talking about these, uh, you know, uh, positions is so important. And like the mobility project is key for it. And it's something that, you know, Luke and I have been really wrapping our head around that, that you did that was so well for the mobility project is that you tied it into the CrossFit main site daily wad that, Hey, this is what's on, on tap for tomorrow. This is what the mobility wad, this is, I'm showing you how to mobilize and help you to aid in this thing. And something that, uh, Luke and I have been talking about for CrossFit football is how do we start putting together not only, um, the key points in the mobility and really looking at maximizing your output, but then at the end of the day, realizing that the that the the training is just merely a tool that. I am looking, you know, I don't get paid to train. I get paid to play football. I get paid to do my sport. And then looking at it and saying, is the training getting my athlete better and realizing that I don't give a shit what happens in the weight room, that you just merely getting this work done, moving this pile of dirt from one side to the other is no longer sufficient that, you know, you have to do this in such a way. And, um, so we at, at the seminar, we always go around and we ask people to kind of share a little bit. We had a guy, this guy, Jason, who stood up and he said, uh, I am a, uh, you know, 
I was working with these kids and, you know, we have a high school football team and I, you know, started talking to the strength coach and I started talking to the coach and they said, Hey, these are our starters. He took, uh, the four kids that were the third string players and said, Hey, can I train these kids? They said to him, yeah, these kids have no chance of playing. He took those four kids. You used the CrossFit football template as it was written on the site, uh, trained them the whole off season. And now those four kids are starters and the kids that were starters were the backup. And that's, and that's what he said. And I, and I, I literally stopped him and I, and I had him repeat it. And I was like, so here's the deal. He didn't tell me about the training. He didn't tell me about the numbers. He didn't tell me a single fucking thing. All he told me was he took the kids that were third string that the coach didn't want and that he trained them using this system. And these kids were starters. I didn't ask him what he squatted and ask him what they benched and ask him how big they were. I didn't ask him how he weighed. I only want to know about the result of using. And I, it was one of those things where I literally was like, yes, because we always, always people, Hey, I got this kid that, you know, comes in and he squatted 300. Now he squats 400. And I'm like, it's great. How did he use his fitness? How did he use his 50 inch box jump? Did he get a college scholarship? Is he starting on his team? What did he do to separate him from the herd? And at the end of the day, that's all I write this program for is so that it can be used for application outside of the weight room. The weight room's great, but you know what? They're not handing out million dollar contracts to people in the weight room. They're not handing out Letterman's jackets. And I sure as hell didn't get to run out in front of 80,000 people and have them watch me lift weights. It was all about the application of using these things so that I could create this system to be able to go out on the field and then kick ass. And that's all I really wanted to know about. And here's the second piece. You know, as we talk about longevity of our professional athletes, we talk about longevity of my, my soldiers, soldiers I get to work with, you know, tell me a way where I can watch you, wear your body armor, follow you around, see, how, see what your default tendencies are, see where you fall apart, see where you're weak, or I have to follow you around and look at and watch your ankles in the third quarter of the, you know, the, the state championship. I can't do it. But I can bring you into the gym and the language of diagnostics is the language of adaptation that as a side effect of training, I can make the invisible visible. And here's here's where the revolution happens, because now for me, the strength coach isn't just the guy who's getting the athlete mentally and readily prepared and getting you stronger and fitter. We expect those things. Now the coach can identify real problems in mechanics in positions that you can't see in other places at speed. You can't see. And so what we can do now is we can repurpose the same language because, look, we know that sport happens with an upright torso. So whether you like it or not, you're going to probably need to front squat. You're probably going to need to muscle snatch. You're going to do some things like that. We can go up and down, right? You're going to need to power clean, but you're going to need to be able to get your torso upright and show me how your hip functions with the torso upright. And if you can't do those things, maybe it's just because you don't have the skill, but we can teach that. But if you can't do those things, suddenly I'm like, ah, your quads are stiff. And that's the same quad stiffness or the same missing capsular stiffness in your hip that's causing you to get beat. That's causing you to be brutally, mechanically, metabolically inefficient in the fourth quarter. It just costs a lot to run an engine with its wheel kick sideways and a handbrake set. And if you don't think those things matter, you're just, you're dead fucking wrong. And what's so nice is we, the, 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 we can get you into the gym and quickly, because we have a very formal language of movement, we can say, here are the movement principles behind what you're doing. Chest bar pull-ups, that's a no-brainer. You know, and one of the reasons is that, that when your chest touches the bar, your shoulders 
and, and position comes, it looks exactly like the bottom position of a bench press. It looks exactly like the position where you pull or you block or you do a burpee or, or, you know, right. Finish your rowing. So the real question is like, if you can't do that position, we can quickly see that maybe it's not, you're, you're not weak enough, or maybe you fucking don't have any extension and rotation in your shoulders. And that's why you're getting beat. And that's why you're putting yourself at risk for injury. It's easy to see. I mean, now, now Kelly, what you're really talking about is, is identifying these problems. And you know what? Um, uh, it was about a year ago. I went up to Nike, um, to go up and, uh, they were, uh, putting out their program for the, uh, their, or what, what is it? Their, we, where they were having this whole style of training based on, uh, the, we being able to identify your movement. And they were using the functional movement screen and they were using a lot of these things. And people ask me all the time about the functional movement screen and assessment. And I tell them all the time, that's a great place to start. But unfortunately, um, for me, I think seeing not only intensity in terms of, uh, the weight room, lifting heavy weights, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff with, we do with our warmups, I don't, I shouldn't have to wait to have you do a functional movement screen or something to know that there's a problem. There should be a basic set of positions that we reinforce with our lifts and our training that, you know, that is just universal to our athletes. And my, my comment to them is, um, when I did the functional movement screen, the first time I failed. And then I waited five minutes and I let them do it again and I passed. And the reason why I passed was I understood what they were looking for. And all of a sudden you start creating attention to detail. And I said, if I can effectively fail this and then rest, think about it and then go control my movement and pass, is that really a true test? And is that really a great movement? Um, I, I, I was like, and so for me, it's like, I've seen more with our athletes and we teach at a seminar. I want you to work up to a three RM, something heavy. I need to see it heavy enough to where I can see where it breaks. And the thing that I, I tell people is you guys are not unique snowflakes. Everybody is the same decaying matter. I, there's only about five things that you guys universally do that we see at every seminar that I know I can fix within seconds. And it's, and the, and I actually credit Kelly Starrett for this, for when people ask me, I'm like, you have not seen as many athletes as I have seen. And I haven't seen a fit of what Kelly Starrett's seen. I said, do you guys just think that Kelly Starrett is this beautiful mind guru that somehow has like sit in his house and has created this great, incredible thing? No, he saw thousands of people People walk through his gym and do the same things and develop the system based off of seeing so many people. And when I tell them, I'm like, you guys work with five athletes. I get to work with hundreds of athletes all over the world doing a similar program. And I see a universal set of things that people are doing wrong. Therefore, I know how to quick fix them. I've just seen more people than you. And when we go into this stuff, I'm like, how scary is it that everybody has this? I'm a unique snowflake. And then when they realize like, holy shit. This CrossFit football guy has never met me. He saw me do a few warmups and saw me get underneath the bar and knew exactly how to fix me. I mean, we had a guy come to us a couple years ago in Austin who the entire reason he showed up is because he could not get rid of his knee pain from squatting. I watched him squat one rep and literally fixed his squat. And uh, he was the first time he'd ever squatted without knee pain. And it was just merely that at the very bottom of the squat, he was shoving his hips forward and literally banging his hips on his calves and shoving his knees forward and was getting patellar tendonitis. I had him sit back a little, fix his foot position, sit back a little bit, drive his knees out, keep a better uh, a torso position and not bang his hips. No knee pain. I see him three years later at the CrossFit Games and I looked at him and I was like, How's the knee pain? He goes, what knee pain? He goes, I, uh, the last day I had knee pain was before I saw you. He goes, that was hands down the most beneficial thing I've ever paid for in my life. He goes, I literally had this knee pain that inhibited everything and literally you fixed it. And he goes, the fact that I had to endure that and had all these coaches and not a single person, he goes, what was it? I'm like, dude, I've seen thousands of people squat like shit. 
How do you think I couldn't fix you? If I couldn't, I'm not fucking worth the money you paid me. Well, and what you went after was he wasn't squatting for performance. He wasn't squatting for a good position. It wasn't like you're trying to fix his knee pain. The knee pain was the thing telling him that he's in a bad position, but we can't wrap our heads around that. That, that pain, that biomechanical efficiency, you know, is your body saying, Hey, you're not moving correctly. You know? And what you did was you weren't like, Hey, let me put you in a position where it doesn't hurt. You were saying, Hey, this is a better position to generate force. Boom, et voila, as a side effect, his pain gets better. You know but, what I mean? It's, it's so, Kelly, Kelly, could that pain also be not necessarily poor movement, but that's also poor tissue, correct? Like unhealthy well, tissue? Let's make it sure. But even then, remember, your body is designed to be 110 years old, right? It really is. And sure, it's easy to go down some, you know, we have a, we have a, a saying that in the physio, it's called PPP. Have you guys heard of that? Yeah, piss poor tissue. Piss poor protoplasm. That's right. Yes. Yep. And um, you got it. And uh, sure, yeah, yeah, you can be totally inflamed. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was just traveling in Europe with Yami Tikkanen, right? We're going, we're teaching, we're working with courses. He was on the, he uh, was on the Finnish judo national team and he dislocated his finger and, uh, and, and it has some scar tissue because it's bad dislocation, right? Well, what's happened then is that like we went, we called it the pro fun inflammation tour 2013. Cause the idea was to try to eat as much bread and drink as much wine as you could in 10 days, 14 days. <laughs> and, uh, right. And then not sleep so that you could just be as maximally inflamed. You have to stare into the abyss of inflammation and hope it doesn't stare back. And literally day four. And he's like, my finger is so stiff. I'm like, what's up inflamed. And, uh, you know, so on the some level, yes, there could be tissue pathology, but guess how you resolve that. We resolve that by putting people into better positions and there's enough slack and tolerance. Let me tell you a little story about one of my friends played in the NFL for a long time. He, uh, sat in a surgery with him one time and he had this, uh, he had a knee that looked for him and for me, when we talk about it, it looked like a perfect, like white, shiny light. It was white and, and bliss emanated from his knee and there was like angels inside. But when you really, when you peeled back that wall, his knee looked like a garbage dump. He had stalagmites and stalactites. He had floating boulders. He had bloody bone. He didn't have an ACL. He had like osteophytes hanging out. It was knee looked disgusting. When they pulled the first rock out of the hole, it made a little popping noise and everyone kind of laughed. This athlete did not have knee pain. He had positional restriction. Who am I talking about? Of course, John Wellborn. And what I'm telling you is that your body has this immense capacity to buffer these bad tissue positions, right? A little bit of frayedness, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. What is the, the mechanism of that pain generation? Sure, you get tacked down, you get behind, you're poorly perfused, you didn't sleep, you didn't think you ever had to deal with your tissues. Look, we know that if you desaturate your muscle tissue, right? By 20%, your fibroblasts go to work because your body's like, holy crap, we've got to support this so it can get stronger. And that fibroblastic development creates that loose areolar tissue and they're called the fuzz. And that, that loose connective tissue fascia scaffolding that your body uses to reinforce muscle tissue damage, right? Almost like a cast in there starts to, you know, build up and build up. And what, at what point did you think you didn't have to move? You know, do you think that the all the pulling that Louis Simmons was having his guys do was for cardio, or do you think it was the only way he could keep his quads from getting stiff? You know, we had um, Mark Bell um, one time. He, he was like, "You were just dealing with trying to get him healthier and better positions." And he called me up one day, and he's like, "Kelly, there's something wrong with my legs." I'm like, "What, Mark? What's going on?" He's like, "My legs, my shins are pink," and I was like, "What?" 
He's like, I know they've been gray for like the last 15 years and now they're pink. I was like, Mark, that's the hot tub and the voodoo floss working. Your shins are the normal color that your skin should be. They're pink, (laughs) right? And uh, the point is it's so easy to get behind because we are training like maniacs. There is no, your body has this capacity to deal with your crap but you've got to pay attention to this, the, the nutrition. You, if you're an athlete, you've got to pay attention to sleep. You've got to pay, a tissue, pay attention to the quality of your tissues and your positions. And that is the baseline for being a professional athlete. And if you think you're an athlete and you're not looking at the whole thing, you're kidding yourself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't how many, John, how many professional, and I use the quote, professional athletes do you know who literally can go party, show up and play the next day and do that over and over and over again and still win? All of them. Yeah, all of them. I, I was going to say that was me for my first uh, six, seven years in the NFL. We would go out and we would drink uh, way too much on Friday night and we would show up to work hungover on Saturday and then we would go out and kick ass on Sunday and we hit rinse and repeat and we did this on end. And then all of a sudden I turned 30 and it no longer worked. And I think, um, you know, it just, it just all of a sudden stopped. And I remember playing in Kansas city and Tony Gonzalez was like, dude, we can't do what we used to do. We got to be smarter. We got to do this. And, you know, uh, fortunately, uh, Tony is superhuman and still playing in his 17th year. And I had an injury that knocked me out in my 10th. And, um, you know, as, as Kelly's saying, when, uh, I went up and had surgery, I mean, <laughs> I remember I looked at Kelly and I was like, so what do you think? And he's like, no, dude, uh, I don't know if, uh, I would continue to do this job as bad as your knee looked. And it took another surgery even a year later to fix everything and, uh, you know, training and getting it done and been so proactive. And it's like, now I, I cannot go, I, I cannot not go do the little things. You know, I have to foam roll. I have to eat perfect. I have to do everything because unfortunately I burned the candle, uh, at both ends for way too many years. And now here I am at 37 years old, I still want to train heavy. I still want to do everything that I want to do. And I just know that I have to do all the little things. And, you know, when you're young and you can train as much as I can. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have to sleep. And this is another thing fatherhood taught me. Um, I wish I had kids when I was 22 or 23 because, um, sleeping, I didn't need to sleep. Now all of a sudden I get a, like a miss a couple nights sleep and I'm a fucking zombie for a few days. So Um, you know, it's just, I, I think the problem is, is that most of these training and a lot of people that are experts, um, don't have enough mileage or enough time underneath the bar to say, Hey, you know what? You got to do it like this. I mean, what do they do? It's like, Oh, that's stupid. You don't need to do that. That's bullshit. No, dude, this is, this is all the important stuff. And I think, especially when you start dealing and this is something too, that, you know, uh, um, people aren't realizing like people in the CrossFit community, a guy like Rich Froning is, uh, at the top of the game and is the pinnacle and he won a decent amount of chunk of change. I was a fourth round draft pick, um, second pick in the, uh, the fourth round. I was a rookie and my signing bonus was significantly more than he wins for the CrossFit games. So the problem is, is now you have a situation like Kelly going out and working with the premier athletes in the world. I mean, we've worked with professional athletes and, uh, you know, we both work with, uh, special warfare and these people that literally are, are at such a high level. Kelly goes down and works with the saints and these other guys. And you have guys that are literally making hundreds of thousands, if not million dollars every Sunday per game. 
the attention to detail, the margin of error, and the expectation is so fucking high that if they can bring in Kelly, and Kelly is the difference between a 1% increase, is the difference between one point is a kicker who puts his foot in a better place that can win that game winning field goal, or that offensive lineman that understands posture and position, how to be a knee bender, not a waist bender, and the guy is a dominant player. Um, it's, it's, it's it's worth millions to these guys. And that's where people don't realize like the level at which we're attacking this thing. I mean, I, it's funny. I watch football on Sundays and it drives me absolutely crazy to watch, uh, you know, offensive linemen that would not have started on any of the offensive lines that I played on, uh, you know, guys that are out there playing and watching what they're doing wrong and being like, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I, I had Mike Solari, who's offensive line coach, my offensive line coach called me and we were talking about these things and he was talking about, Hey, John, yeah, you're saying and this is the thing is you did what everyone around you was doing. You knew, you knew it from Cal. You knew what you know, what I mean, so what ends up happening is I'm like, hey, this is not the player's fault. I really think that people are working at the limits of their understanding. Right. And every once in a while as a young athlete with a couple million bucks in your pocket, you probably make a bad decision. Comma, when we build a culture around like, for example, um, you know, now at Arsenal, they have food delivered to the players so they can help the players control what they eat, right? Like how much does that really cost the organization? Nothing. But when the players get home, there's a handmade meal with vegetables and, and on, and the meats and all enough for the right fats. And like everything's taken care of for the athlete. The athlete shows up and is like, Oh, I just have to eat this. Right. So what ends up happening is that you develop a culture around, you know, what, this is what it means to be an athlete. Now the saints, for example, you know, Sean Payton, year of suspension, discovers CrossFit, drops a bunch of weight, trains hard, takes it seriously. Right. And I've known his strength coach for over a year. We'd kind of been in conversation about a bunch of things, but suddenly from the top down, they brought in a nutrition expert from, uh, from the Olympic training center. They've, they've integrated systems where they're taking a look at really the low hanging fruit, because when I come in, I'll be honest, you know, it's, they're doing a lot of things right, of course, and these guys are monsters, but what's, it's not a 1% gain. There's a 10% gain. There's a 15% gain. What's, the, what's it look like over 16 games in the season? It's significant. So what's fun is now they're starting to see these pockets of athletes and pockets of coaches starting to say, this is what it means to be a pro athlete. Ah, got it. We have to pay attention. Guys are getting on the bus with wearing compression now. You know, guys are attacking their soft tissue afterwards. You know, as you know, you know, for example, there's a lot of team meetings, you know, where like you literally are in a team meeting and then you got to go play football and like be ready to go in 20 minutes. And I don't know the last time an hour, someone sat in an office, answered emails for an hour and then stood up and ran into another 300 pound lineman trying to kill them. That's what football is. And so I'm, you know, they were like, Hey, Kel, can you help me about eval- help us evaluate our warm up? I'm like, your warm up is fine. You know how to get athletes prepped. The problem is these athletes are not ready positionally to go play football. You should be able to be have full range of motion and control that range of motion cold. That's what you should be able to do. You should be able to shouldn't have to like warm up your shoulders and be able to throw your kids over the head in the pool. Like that's BS, right? You shouldn't, you should be able to get out of bed and squat all the way down ass to ankle with your feet together. That's normal function as a human, right? And I understand you may be stiff cause you're old, but the point is, Right. That when you step out into the field, you should already have 
this full capacity. That's the thing we're taking off. How do we create a ready state? And I don't know how many emails I've gotten from coaches saying, thank you for getting this athlete prepared so that I could just coach them. I didn't have to keep coaching around their problems. They were, they were fit. They were strong. They're ready to go. They understood what I asked them because they had a language. And they're also these athletes, you know, we, you know, we have athletes who like go out and win gold medals and then go as they warm down. They're the only athletes warming down, even though they just want a gold medal. And there are, already eating something, getting ready for the next race. You know, like that's what it means to be a professional athlete. And unfortunately, professional athlete for us means you're a really, really gifted mover and you're not broken yet. And you can get away with it until you can't. And there's another 18 year old kid waiting to take your place. And that is not the mentality, not the mentality. Kelly, so when you're, you're down there working with the saints, that's what you see, uh, the most is just their ability to not be, to get warmed up fast enough or, or what are some of the, we're just, we're taking, you know, the, the key is here, here's what's great is about my job is I get to go behind the scenes everywhere. I mean, just everywhere. I've seen every sport. I know everyone looks like I've been in the locker rooms of every professional. I've been behind the scenes of every tier one military asset in the United States government. I mean, like, I go everywhere. I get to see all the, all the dots. And what we've seen is that there's a lot of low hanging fruit out there. And, you know, and some of that, you know, can be dealt with from an organizational status and some of it cannot, some of it's personal responsibility. But when you create a culture of preparation, and this is really where, you know, I think CrossFit people sort of missed the idea of like CrossFit literally was saying, Hey, you probably need to pay attention to nutrition and you need to be able to have all these skills. Like when they say constantly varied, what I say is, can you do all the things a human being should be able to do? Like, do I need to have 300 pound linemen do pistols? No. Do they need to be able to squat all the way down and be able to show me and have good full ankle range of motion and hip flexion? Yes. Show me that position, right? That's an issue of training. Should a, should a line be able to put his arms over his head and lock out into a stable position? Yes. Do I need to, is that where they're spending the bulk of their training? Probably not. But so what you're talking about is athletes need to have full range of motion of their joints. That's crazy talk. So Kelly, let's not go off the rails here. I mean, do athletes really need to have full range of motion of their joints? Well, I mean, <laughs> you go from position to position, like people are confused, you know, like, Hey, I need to have full overhead. Yeah. And I'm like, also you need to have a good front rack because you're going from the front rack position to overhead. Oh, you're in lineman. Well, the, the front rack position, right? If you straighten your elbows out, that's your blocking position. You know, I like, you know, we can connect the dots and be a lot more sophisticated. How many coaches, John, have said things like this? Like, I like the bench press. It ties the arms to the body. And you're like, what the hell does that mean, coach? Well, what it means is that someone who can create torque with the barbell in front of them, right? That's a stable shoulder position in the front rack. Bend the elbow and you're in a front rack overhead, elbow straight, and now you're in a blocking arm straight position, right? But you got to be able to go from that position to this press archetype where the hand comes behind the body because I need, this is where I'm pushing, this is where I'm tackling. And so what I'm telling you is that if you don't have full internal rotation and extension in your shoulder, that means that both of those positions are compromised because you're going from position to position. So yes, you have to have full range of motion in your shoulders to be considered normal and to have best function of all of those ranges. And yeah, well, I, it's well, not debatable. 
it's, it, it's because people, things are not done in still frame pictures. And I think that's where, well, what's been so interesting, especially with, with a lot of training these athletes is that there is a situation and we talk about, you know, different planes of motion, but all sport is, is actually taking all those planes of motion and transitioning through them fluidly and without effort that you should be able to go from a, you know, from a squat to a step, to a lunge, to all of these things, just like the upper body, the upper body push pull, and you go into all these different planes of motion that the the athlete and the the ability to demonstrate, um, I guess, uh, comprehensive understanding of your body and being able to transition between these planes of motion is really what separates the good ones from the people that don't play. I mean, you, and I, I always tell, I'm like, dude, you want to see the best athletes on the planet. You get to see them every Sunday. And it's one of those things where you get to see not only everybody starts at a standstill and you get to see static literally a static start to max acceleration. And then athletes do things that blow my mind. And I said, dude, that's why the NFL, it's so entertaining. It's because it's such a physical, it's such a uh, expression of athleticism. And that's why people watch the Olympics and I'm sad the Olympics. I mean, I'm excited the Olympics every four years, but I literally love watching like the female gymnastics because of the ability for them to tie movement after movement, after movement. And everything is aesthetically pleasing that we get into this. And I, I tell people, I'm like, you guys are familiar with this thing called the coach's app or the coach's eye on your app on your iPhone. They go, yeah. I said, do you, you know, you have a visual that you have a ingrained, you have a coach's app. It's called your eyeball and you know it because you can look at something and you know whether or not it's aesthetically pleasing. Can I look at that person do something? And I think to myself, wow, that's really clean movement. Or do I watch something where I cringe and I think to myself, oh fuck. And then I make an excuse like they're just going hard. You know, that's where we get into this. And I was like, I used to watch guys do things on, uh, you know, on the field where I thought to myself, look how gifted that individual is. They can put their foot in the ground and go vertical and all the different things they can do. It's just like you watch RG3 when he got hurt. He was in a terrible position. I looked at it and I thought, oh, that's a terrible position. And he gets hurt. But he was always in bad positions. Now, why is it that he didn't get hurt sooner? Is the fact that the guys couldn't catch him because he was such he was so much faster and more agile than them. Now, all of a sudden, you bring uh, a guy like RG3, who's kind of a smaller guy, and now you have a 275-pound linebacker who's just as fast and just as elusive, uh, elusive as he is. And now, all of a sudden, you put all those pressures, and now you're starting to see really that force bleed effect where now he's loosening the lug nuts too much. Um, I, you know, that's what's, what's really becoming fascinating. But the people that are listening to this, you guys have an innate – coach's eye you guys have a coach's app in your own physical brain and it's based on everybody knows what looks good and bad and if you don't know what look what looks good and bad then you're lying to yourself because you do know you can watch athletes do things and you think to yourself shit that's aesthetically pleasing yeah. and you can watch people in your own gym that look so fucking bad that you cringe and you but you let them go instead of fucking tackling them and saying stop this mm-hmm. stop stop fucking doing this it's hurting me a little piece of me <clears throat> dies every time you do this and we say that all the time. I'm like, I, at the seminar, I tell them, I'm like, dude, if you keep doing it bad, a piece of me is going to die. And at the end of the cert, I'm going to be dead because of your bad movement. Don't kill me. I mean, if I could just comment here too, John, I, I concur with that idea with our eyeball. And one of the things that, uh, that, that beautiful aesthetic movement is just natural, right? I mean, you could go to watch like a hunter gatherer tribe or just turn to your children, right? Before we jack up our children and make them sit in chairs and do stupid shit like that, they move really well, um, you know, barring any kind of disorders. Um, and it looks good. Right. And then we mess them up. So, um, I like that idea of like, we have our own coach's eye on our eyeball and we know what is good. 
Um, I had a guy in the gym yesterday. I did a Tabata deadlift workout and uh, he tried to do it too. And he, he hitched every deadlift and I could, I couldn't look, I'd leave the gym. It was like killing me. Um, cause he wouldn't listen to me when I said, lower the weight. He's like, no, I'm going to finish it. And he probably won't come to the gym today. Cause he's like dead. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the big thing too. I mean, whatever, bro, you don't respect his PR. Well, 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 I I remember Kelly and I had had a pretty cool conversation and he asked me, he's like, John, what, what could you think was one of the reasons you were successful at your last job? And I told him, I was like, dude, it was a small ego, uh, small ego, lots of pride as an NFL football player. You got to have enough pride about you to go out and do your job, but you can't have your ego so big that you can't listen to people. You can't go out and, and, and have somebody try to improve. And Kelly, you, you, see this, especially with NFL players, those guys are like, just tell me how to be the best. And you tell them and they're like, so what you're telling me is if I do this, I'll be better. And you're like, yeah, I'm telling you, if you do this, you'll be better. Uh, you know what? Those guys play. I mean, I used to tell the young guys all the time when they asked me, they were like, well, what should I do? I said, here's the deal. Do exactly as the coach tells you do. I mean, down to the, the smallest minutia. If he tells you to do that, you do it. And here's the deal. If you win, you're going to be here. If you if you don't win, you can always turn to the coach and say, you know what? I did exactly what you told me to, and I didn't win. And the coach will never be mad at you for following the coach. And we used to call it, take the coaching, listen to the coaching. I used to say, dude, just tell me what you want me to do. If you, if, if I fuck up and I did exactly what you said, it's on you, not on me. Now, if I'm out there ad libbing and I fucking don't do it right, then I'm doubly fucked. And, uh, uh, you know, technique that the technique from these really good coaches who've been doing it for 20 years, 30 years, the technique is based on the physiology. That's the key that people forget is that you're teaching thumb up, elbow in. Well, that turns out to be the stable position for the shoulder, period. And so what's nice is that when you get coaches, like this coach is saying, hey, I see that I've worked with these at linemen forever and ever. They're getting beat. Their feet are turned out. We get the foot straight. Well, it turns out he figured out that when the foot is straighter, guys should develop more power. They're faster. They cut. They don't get beat. And it also happens to reflect the actual physiology of the human. And so what's nice is that when you can take the gym and take the principles of the body and, tra- and translate them, suddenly the, the, there's a language for understanding the technique. So when you do what coaches, good coaches tell you to do, it's because the coach has worked this out. I mean, think about the Russians slamming the armpit the wrong way for a few days. And they were like, fuck, that didn't work. We just broke Dimitri, you know, like, sorry, we changed our mind again. We're going armpit forward this time. You know, like this has been done because people are greedy. And we're obsessive based. Look, 2000 plus years ago, some guy, I forget who it was. Oh yeah. He's writing about how to train Greeks for battle. And it's right around the time of the first Olympics, 2000 years ago. He's like, yeah, we train really hard and we take a few days off and then we train really hard. And like, whoa, 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 whoa. These ideas are 2000 years old. No, they're older than that. Why? Because we're human beings and we've worked it out and we're not specially unique flowers. We have the same shoulders. We have the same nutritional needs. And when you just dial in on some of those basics and you, and you're right, the eye is so sophisticated. People just don't know what they're seeing. What we've evaluated the entire thing is, did you get the task done? Did it hurt? And if it didn't hurt and you got the task done, it must be correct versus saying, is that the best way to do it? And we can have a whole language of evaluation that's much more sophisticated because everyone can understand if their spine changed position when they squatted, yes or no. If it did, okay, well, that was an error. Did it happen twice? All right, now we're making a pattern. And that's the key. We expect to see errors on the field. We expect to see errors in the gym. But when you do the same thing over and over again, that's the definition of madness. What are we doing? What are we doing? 
Yep. It's, it's, it's easy. Yeah, it's true. And like, uh, at least in, in my gym, it's, uh, some, some athletes you get in this, like, I think I heard Luke say something about he got a PR or something. That's it. Right. You're chasing the PR instead of chasing position and posture. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's the wrong thing to be chasing as far as I'm concerned. Well, somebody, uh, you know, I always ask, uh, at the beginning of the, of the seminar, when we start lecturing, I'm like, why do you guys lift weights? And this guy said to me, he goes, um, I, I was like, well, why do we squat? Why do we lift free weights? Why not machines? And the guy was like, well, to get stronger. And I was like, well, I can get my legs strong leg pressing. So is it just about strength? And, you know, of course, people give me this kind of, you know, bacon look because they have no idea. And they're like, is it about muscle? I'm like, well, I mean, uh, you know, and I kind of go through this whole thing. And I was like, I had this really strange epiphany one day when I, I watched people, why they were not completing lifts, why they were not making it is that they couldn't maintain the posture and position that the weight got too heavy and things broke down. And then after watching them break down, going back and fixing these parts and realizing that the difference between success and failure was so small that it was just maybe attention to detail, fixing, you know, training the body and looking at it and saying, you know what, here's a deal where you are, your legs are pretty strong enough, but you don't have the torso strength, your upper back and your upper body is not a stable, strong platform to put a heavy bar on. So, you know what, does it make sense to just keep overloading the movement pattern or do we try to fix that torso strength? Do we try to create a strong, stable platform using some other movements? And then that's where we developed, you know, started using our vertical pull model and our manual resistance model for the upper body to develop a stronger torso. So that all of a sudden, as I start to using our manual resistance, all of a sudden the shoulders shove in. And what do we do? We put the athlete back up, we put them in and we show them with the proper position, pinch the shoulder blades. And we started doing this thing in real time. And it was one of those things where all of a sudden then they get underneath the bar and all of a sudden they understand physically what I want. And then every single person that leaves there can show me and they can demonstrate what I want done. Now, whether or not they choose to leave after two days and say, you know what, fucking Wellborn's an idiot. I'm not going to listen to him. Or they take the and they say, you know what, that was beneficial. And you know what, I am no longer going to just, uh, you know, toss it by the wayside that my attention to what I'm doing is more important than actual outcome of what I'm doing. Right. And, um, it's, you know, and, it, and as you can see, you know, Kelly and I have been friends a, a really, really long time and we've had many conversations about this and it's always hilarious. Like I said, I'm at the seminar where people go, do you know, Kelly Starrett? Are you guys friends? Because a lot of these things are the same. And I occasionally I used to joke with them and be like, no, I, I've never met him, but uh, that's pretty fascinating. I should probably contact him if he's, uh, if he's stealing a lot of, or if I'm stealing his information and vice versa, you know, and then people, you know, realize that we probably are friends, but it's, it's because, you know, what we're talking about is true and we see it and we see it because we're so fortunate to travel the world and work with so many athletes that are literally showing it to us. And it's just one of those really cool truths that, you know, uh, completely, completely agree. You know, and I, here's, here's the, what I think is suddenly it's not just about getting stronger, you know, because I'll tell you, it's, you know, you are one of the strongest non only strength athletes I've ever met, John, like you're brutally strong and you're not just a power lifter and you're not just an Olympic lifter. Like you're like, a genuine actual athlete. I don't want to go to your head, but it's true. And, um, thank you. You know, and what I think is interesting is that, you know, I helped Donnie Thompson break the world record and literally he texts me right after he's like, Kelly, I just smashed world record. And I think I could squat 1400. I'm like, when's the madness end? You just told me that you could feel your femurs flex under the load. Like is 1400 going to snap your femurs. And what happens is that 
Just being stronger and getting stronger and getting stronger is never enough. It's never enough. When we put the, like, you know, put the technique, we put the position back in, we put the fluency and capacity and, um, you know, the cross the word virtuosity actually show me that you understand what we're doing and do it as cross as many different domains as I can come up with. This is a task worthy of a lifetime. Suddenly this is an intellectual task. You're not just a piece of meat getting under the bar, suffering and blocking out, you know, going into the pain cave and suffering it and, you know, grinding. Like you have to show me that you can do this over and over again, that when you start to get, it gets heavy on those fives and it starts to get ugly. When you start to break down, that's it. What are we doing? I expect to see an error once, but if I see it twice, you're done with the set. And you know, suddenly when we make it about this, this is a sustainable, worthy task of a lifetime's training. And it's probably going to take a long time to be really good at it. The good news is if I get 50% of this, right, I'm probably going to win a gold medal when I'm really, really evolved. I'm probably going to be 40 or 50 years old, you know, but I'll spend the rest of my life doing it. You know, and I think that's what's so fun about this stuff is that it's not just about getting stronger or having a bigger engine. It's about integrating the systems and working towards optimization and understanding self. Amen. Preach. Amen. That's some heavy shit, man. <laughs> you guys that's like awesome. do these, you guys think about this shit way too much. I'm like, probably. Well, you know, where I get confused is I hear, I hear all this stuff makes sense. And then John, I hear you tell the story about, uh, Deion Sanders, right? Who he kind of got his his running technique cleaned up, and it made him slower. Oh, I don't, well, I, no. I'm not saying no. that. No. Well, what well, you're saying is wrong. I just I hear that story, and then I hear the other story, and it's like I mean, is is John your story just like that? You know, that one percent that that just well, happened, the fluke. Well, let me tell you. So, so, uh, Kelly, the story is, uh, you know, Raphael trained Deion Sanders, uh, when Deion came in as a freshman at Florida state, he ran like a, I think it was like a four two forty or four one, something just off the charts. And uh, Deion could hardly touch his toes. He was so tight. And they, they had this idea that if they could increase Deion's flexibility, he could increase his stride, stride length by one inch. That was equal to two tenths of a second in his 40. And this guy could run a three nine forty. So they spent the whole off season really training, you know, stretching him and making sure he increased his flexibility. He, he does increase his flexibility, he goes out and he actually ran slower. And so they kind of looked around and what should they do? And they were like, fuck it, stop stretching him. Then Dion got tight again and he went out and he actually ran faster. And so the idea was, and they, and it was kind of an interesting uh, deal. And the, the com and the reason I use that analogy is, is um, you occasionally are going to run into somebody who might be beyond gifted, like a Dion Sanders. I mean, uh, I'll tell you my claim to fame was uh, when Dion was playing in Dallas, I actually dove over the pile and uh, took a good cheap shot and actually knocked him down. And he got pretty upset. So I was pretty stoked on that. Cause I'd always wanted to take a big hit on prime time, but you have a guy who is extremely gifted, extremely fast and has a, a certain skill set that is beyond what most people on the planet have. Um, it just so happened that he probably had a lot of uh, kinetic energy stored in his tissues. He was probably anatomically set up in such a way that the tightness in his body actually contributed to his speed. Um, unfortunately, there's only a few people. He might be one of the only people in the world that maybe that applies to. But it, it's also I tell people as a coach, you have to realize that certain people just have it right. And the worst thing you can do is overcoach them. I mean, that, like I, I remember watching people do things and being like, you know what? That's not exactly right. Uh, how I would do it, but that's pretty fucking good. And the worst thing I can do is overcoach you. Well, and how about this? 
Dion is very various in his walking. He already creates a ton of internal rotation torque. The real question is this one, when we have people making fundamental errors, they may get slower initially. And we say to them, look, just because it's harder doesn't mean it's not better. So the idea was, did Dion, you know, if we could increase his stride rate, well, was this, was it a capsular problem? If they spent the whole time working on his neuromuscular system, right? Of course they fucking made him slower, right? He, it's his neuromuscular system. You know, did, were they addressing his soft tissue? You know, who says that touching your toes is a ma- valid measure of anything? Does he have full hip flexion? Yes or no? You know, and the real question is, you know, if, if he's making shortcut positional problems that are going to cause him to be able to not cut as well or be able to put his arms overhead, that's one thing to sort of arbitrarily say, hey, let's stretch you out. Because theoretically, if you're stretchier, like what we're not, I'm looking at tissue stiffness. I'm not looking at tissue elasticity, right? And I'm also looking at like the capsule. And I'm sorry, but if you're missing 50% of the range of motion in your hip capsule, well, it turns out that's going to be a problem when your hips wear out when you're 34 or you tear your ACL when you're 20, you know, when you're 27, I can say "Ah, that's that's the, the, the go around. But you know, that the issue is if he has full position and he's not stiff, what are we doing? You know, and that's exactly right. And if we have a guy who comes in who can, you know, backflip and create a ton of torque and his positions are good and he's not messing his back when he bends over, you know, you should be able to basically hip hinge down and grab the barbell. I guarantee you that running that fast, he could do that because he came through a program that sprinted. He came through a full program that probably was, he was involved as a track athlete. Like all of those things were part of that just to value, you know, Hey, let's, can you touch your toes? Yes or no you know, to give you one more, that's that sort of misplaced precision where we see, yeah, you did monkey with an athlete, but if, you know, was his hip capsule open, you know, did they stretch him? And then was it a bad day? Was it, you know what I mean? So I guess there's, there's so multivariate. That's why show me that he can front squat and I'll show you mecha- improved mechanical efficiency period. Well, well, I mean, we've, we've had numerous people, like we trained some people that were in, and Kelly, I know you've done this too. We had a couple of yoga people come in that were extremely flexible. The minute that we put them under load, they had no idea what, that there was a difference between passive range of motion and active range of motion. I mean, these people were like fucking human gumby sticks yet that we put 95 pounds in the bar. And all of a sudden they have zero flexibility to squat. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, dude, these people are like gumby. And that's when we realized that, you know, uh, you know, passive range of motion, is pretty worthless in terms of athleticism. So static stretching, why do we static stretch after practice? It cools your central nervous system, increases recovery. It's a good thing. But what I'm really forcing and why we talk about our warmups and why our warmups are so dynamic is because I need active range of motion. I need to be flexible when all of my muscle is firing, when all of my, you know, uh, body is being used as a, as a complete. There's nothing else. I mean, you know, we, I don't even advocate, I'm like, quit, quit doing the static stretching. Let's get you rolling. Let's get your nervous system recovered. You know, how do I get you? You can go from zero to 60, right? Really fast, but you got to go from 60 to zero. How am I going to, uh, you know, recover your parasympathetic nervous system so you can get about recovering We're measuring heart rate variability with all these colleges are, you know, and looking at Omega wave and like, you don't go home and do anything to try to affect your recovery. You just keep smashing yourself. And then we measure that you're being smashed. You know, that doesn't get us anything. So that's why, you know, this was a long time ago and our, our understanding of how to improve position wasn't as sophisticated as now, you know, Hey Dion, let's do this static stretching so we can improve some theoretical thing. Well, of course it didn't fucking translate, you know? So I think that's where we can really make, Oh, look what I just got in the mail. My carne bars, my coconut carne bar from well food. Thank you, Johnny. Love you. No problem. 
whiskey is sitting next to us. J star. She says, Hey, she loves you. Oh, tell her hello for me. Tell me, uh, the girls had their uh, second birthday two weeks ago and, uh, dude, it's pretty hilarious to see them. They're running and talking. I mean, they're almost ready for a, a Disneyland trip. That's what I'm thinking. Well, I was over at, I was over at John's house yesterday and we were doing some planning for 2014 and, uh, Tobias some time so we could talk. He was having the girls do wind sprints down the hallway. So they were doing like, uh, ladders, like 20 yard ladders. It was great. They weren't doing lactic tolerance loops. They were just running down the hallway. <laughs> and, and the best is they run back and Jamie's laughing. She high fives. And I tell her, I'm like, get another one, get another one. And she goes down, touches the wall and sprints back. And I tell her, get another one, get another one. And, uh, and then all of a sudden after like the seventh one, she like comes over and like headbutts me in the stomach and I pick her up and she puts her head down on my shoulder and gives this big sigh. Like, oh, I'm tired, dad. Spent. So she chilled there. Yeah, she was spent. And I'm like, this is great. I'm like, you know what? That's uh, that's way better than watching TV. And, you know, we'll read some Dr. Seuss. I, I don't know if anybody out there has read Dr. Seuss lately, but uh, we've on this huge Dr. Seuss kiss. We have this big tag of books. Not only are they tug ties or tongue tying uh, nightmares, but that dude was on a lot of drugs. Oh, he was high as fuck. Because, I mean, you know, uh, I think it was Zebra Zabel Zeus is, I mean, like I'm reading these things and I'm like, dude, I remember I, uh, like the cat in the hat and like we're reading Go Dog Go and, you know, a, a blue dog in a yellow tree, yellow dog in a blue tree. I'm like reading this stuff. I'm like, this dude must have been high as a kite writing this shit. So uh, no doubt. Pretty hilarious. I, I got a good laugh out of that one. <clears throat> Kelly, Kelly, how are the carne bars? Are you tearing them open? Give well, me a heads up on this. I'm not going to lie right now. I'm trying to tear one open, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I can obviously tell you live with two year olds because I am not smart enough to open the carne bar without. Uh, so, so what happened is, is uh, to increase shelf stability, we had to use a thicker package. Um, and that was uh, a call on my part. And then I, so I was like, go with the thicker package, increases shelf stability. These are awesome. And then when I got them, when I, they shipped them to me, I too was like a two year old and finally just like, was like, shit, I think I might've made a mistake on getting a thicker package, but uh, just slice them open or tear them open. And, um, dude, they're pretty awesome, man. I think they're game changers. Um, just went into the coconut. I'm telling you. Everyone, I'm going to give you a hang on to this. I'm going to give you John's house address. He's got an excellent room. There's plenty of carne bars there. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you guys can find me, come visit. <laughs> well, look, look no, I think I think that, that Deion Sanders story is, is a good story because it illustrates the some of the principles that we're talking about. That Look, we have become a lot more sophisticated in understanding what the body should do. If we looked at what Dion was eating, you know, 20 years ago, it'd been bad. If we looked at the sleep, kind of shoes he was running in, the whole thing. We just, we've become so much more sophisticated. And the problem is if we don't make something of all of this information, if my children don't grow up, you know, understanding this cold, then we have, we have shit the bed. We have a chance to make it better, to really start to push human experience, you know, and longevity. Because at some point you're going to retire too, and I don't want you to be crippled. And there's no reason you should be. You should be able to retire when you decide to retire or because you get too slow because you're like 75. And they're like, John, you can't play in the NFL anymore. You're 75 years old. Well, and, Kelly, uh, I mean, uh, well, well, you know, and, and you you get to see it a little better than we do because everybody that comes to your seminar, the reason that they're there is because they're hurt. and They're just hoping to God that Kelly Starrett will put their hands on them and heal them. But you know what? We have a lot of people come to our seminar and they're dinged up. And I always ask them, like, why are you dinged up? 
And I'm like, there's no reason that you should be hurt in the weight room. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're doing everything right, you guys are weekend warriors. Like, you know, I like, uh, you know, and I always ask them, I'm like, you know, is it something where it's, you know, you versus Kalipa in the final round of the CrossFit games. And, you know, all of a sudden the, uh, you know, the lug nuts get loose because you're going that hard and you've decided, Hey, I'm going to sacrifice my movement and position because I got to try to move a second faster than this dude. And they're like, no, I was at my local gym and, um, it was a workout on a Saturday and my wife or kids are there and I blew out my shoulder and I'm like, great. I'm like, real good job, asshole. I'm like, I'm like, stop this. I'm like, you know what? I realize that this is important to you, but why are you injured? You should not get hurt in the weight room. We, uh, there was a room or a word for guys that got hurt in training and guys that got hurt in the weight room. And it was called cut. Uh, I played with a guy or knew a dude that played for the jets who was benching, you know, 500 plus pounds for reps, super strong dude, uh, up set, didn't warm up and blew his peck in the weight room in the off season. He got cut and never got to come back and play and was a really gifted player, uh, Matt O'Dwyer, OD. And, um, you know, there's a situation where you don't get hurt in the weight room. If you're going to get hurt, you better make sure that you're hurt out on that field doing this game because, you know what, they don't have time for people to get hurt in the weight room. So I, we go through it all the time. I'm like, why are you hurt? Don't get hurt. And more importantly, stop fucking hurting your athletes. Just fucking, you know, you guys are in your local gym. Do not take the, I got to break a couple of eggs to make an omelet. Tom Cable approached offensive line and, and football. Um, Tom Cable is my offensive line coach in college. He was the Raiders coach. And now he's up in Seattle. He used to say all the time, the training's going to be hard. We're going to break a bunch of eggs to get an omelet. And you know what? Those guys said they get broken eggs. They got surgery to fix you up. Like, but that was a situation completely different than your local gym. Like stop fucking hurting your athletes. If a guy's hurt, please fucking figure out what it is. And what's the limiting factor? Is it his mobility? Is his nutrition? Is his training as you as a coach? Is, are you the limiting factor because you haven't done enough research or you don't understand what the fuck, how to apply this stuff. And that's a big thing too. Like have enough pride about you and, 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 and a small enough ego where you realize that maybe there's somebody that knows something more. And if there is, I got to go out there and meet them. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of that. I go out and train with all these people. I listen to their different systems. I see what I like. I see what I can use. I see what I don't like. And then I make a decision on it, but without going out there and actually meeting these guys, like we trained out at Westside, I've trained with Kelly. I mean, we've trained with the world's best people and develop a system based off of what you like and what you don't like, you know? And, 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 and not only that, but it's test retest. You know I mean? Like, yeah. you know, this thing going on in the, in the, the internet sphere about, you know, he's out. I'm like, what, what do you think this is? You know, someone put up there like Cairo, my chiropractor. And I was like, well, I guess my doctor degree doesn't matter. And the tens of thousands of athletes I've seen or the hundred thousand athletes, like they don't matter. And, you know, I mean, like at some point you're like, look, we're not just talking about what our opinions are. We're talking about our clinical experience test and retest rules, everything. That's all there is, you know? Test and retest. And what people are understanding is they're starting to get best information spread and shared across platforms. And this is, this is the revolution room, you know, and, and it's, it's that simple. Dude, I'm, I'm glad to be part of the revolution. Dude, you are, you are, you are designated captain of the revolution. Oh, nice. Hey man, I'll play on your team anytime, Kelly. I'll play on your team. Well, you know, anytime you need to go, you know, third and long, put into rock, mock toe. 
<laughs> Dude, some somewhere there there is a picture where I photoshopped Kelly onto a picture of uh, the Tark Mokto or the the Taruk, and I literally colored Kelly blue, and Kelly was riding it. And uh, years I'd have to dig it out, but years ago I sent that to Kelly, and uh, it's true. I mean, this is really like a a big crazy winged creature that you're riding around on. And what's cool is we get to go out and virally infect people with this. I mean, and you know, talk to them and and you know, work with them for two days. I mean, you guys work with them for one day, but I mean we're on the front lines fighting this thing. And people always ask me why, you know, why are you out here? What are you doing this for? And I'm like, because these are people that want to get better. I can work with people that want to get better. And more importantly, people that are willing to work to get better. And, and, and you know what, I'm giving you my best information. I believe me, I, I'm not holding anything back. And it's your right to be able to know this. I mean, we just think, we think we can shift the burden back off of, you know, back, or, or shift the responsibility away back onto the actual person, like, you should know this. It's okay to know this. It's okay to take a crack at understanding is that a good squat or bad squat. And, and here's the really the revolutionary thing. We can scale all of our ideas backwards. You can take any of the principles of the CrossFit football, uh, you know, power athletes are, and you can take them backwards and apply them to sitting. You can apply it to your mom. You can play it to jumping and landing with your children. You can work with your, <clears throat> your local pop peewee football. You can work with your daughter's basketball. It all scales exactly. And because we can speak to this continuum of left and right, Olympic athlete, professional athlete, back down to your children and grandma, you know, show me a model where we're making that mistake. We'll make the change. In the meantime, we got it. Sounds good. It's freaking awesome. Uh, well, I think boys, that's good. Yeah, we're at like that's 90, an hour and a half. Yeah, we're at like ninety minutes. We we crushed it. <laughs> we didn't even talk yet. We haven't even talked yet. We haven't said anything yet. <laughs> we're just getting warmed up. Oh boy. Um. All right. Yeah, dude. Let's 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 wrap it up, guys. And uh, well, I guess, thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks, well, thanks, yeah, thanks Kelly. Kelly for- <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. My pleasure, you guys. Love you guys. Can't wait to hang out. All right, Kelly. See you soon. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, Thanks guys. A lot. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, John. See y'all. Thanks, John. Thanks, Kelly.